Daniel Lismore is considered one of today's most influential fashion leaders. Vogue calls him England's most eccentric dresser. Daniel expresses his artistic vision through fashion. His work captures the transcendent nature of fashion from ancient Greece to modern times. Model, sculptor, costume and fashion designer, political activist and pioneering artist, Daniel has reinvigorated the fashion and art scene. His book, Be Yourself, Everyone Else Has Already Taken, was published in 2016. It includes contributions by Debbie Harry, Boy George, Stephen Fry, Vivian Westwood, and Stefano Pilati. Daniel's first exhibition of the same name opened in 2016 at SCADFASH, the Savannah College of Art and Design. The exhibit then moved on to Miami's Art Basel and then to Iceland, Italy, and Poland. Daniel's authenticity and personal courage have inspired works of striking originality and bold ideas. He achieves a synthesis of art, history, and culture that truly transcend time. As political activist, Daniel has campaigned with Vivian Westwood on her climate revolution projects, using his creative platform to bring climate awareness to a wider audience. Over his career, Daniel has collaborated with photographers like Mario Testino, Stephen Klein, and David LaChapelle. He's worked with celebrated art directors, models, fashion designers, actors, and art directors. As creative director of Sorapol, he won critical acclaim for his work with some of the world's most beautiful and influential women, Nicki Minaj, Mariah Carey, Rita Ora, Debbie Harry, and Carla Delevingne. This past year, Daniel starred in Burberry creative director Ricardo Tichy's Pride Month campaign. Alongside Iggy Pop, he starred in H&M's Close the Loop campaign to promote sustainable clothing, as well as Bulgari's campaign in 2019. Currently, Daniel is a circuit ambassador for the Tate Modern and has held two exhibitions at the Tate London. In this two-part interview, we discuss Daniel's work with Vivian Westwood on her climate revolution projects, his modeling career culminating in the September 2019 opening of Naomi Campbell's Fashion for Relief runway show at the British Museum, the costume Daniel designed in collaboration with Swarovski as designer for the English National Opera and the production of The Mask of Orpheus using 400,000 blue recycled crystals. His work with fellow Cool Earth, Pamela Anderson and David LaChapelle at the English National Ballet, which he starred in and produced. His recent revealing interview with Tim Yip, Academy Award-winning art director of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and a sneak preview of Tim Yip's new film in which Daniel has a starring role. And a punk exhibition with Vivian Westwood on the Thames, Saving the Rainforest, and much more. If 2020 taught us anything, it's that we all crave freedom. Freedom to be ourselves freedom to create, freedom to prosper, freedom to love as individuals and communities. To us, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. And Tim Yip's film, Love Infinity, are emblematic of our times. The quest for individuality, artistic expression, and community that binds us in a common cause. I hope you enjoy this two-part series in which we explore life as fashion and fashion as art, and the role art can play in bringing our world and its people closer together. Daniel Lismore, I am so delighted to have you on the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast. I don't think we have ever had or we will ever have a guest that illustrates our motto to such perfection. You know, your couture is an invitation that travels through time and art history, traveling from Genghis Khan to Dora Maar, Emily Louise Folger. You brought dressing at the level of art and using your body as a very personal and unique canvas. Your first exhibition, U.S. Ex exhibition, it was at the Scadfash Museum in Atlanta, in 2016, gathering more than 4,000 items, including very unique assembles and in art, living display of your couture and objects that were personal to you. 
tell us about this. You know, looking at your art, the first thing that comes to mind is the rainbow portrait of Queen Elizabeth I, painted around 1600. It was probably five years ago, 2015. I found myself finishing a fashion label that I was the creative director for, and I ended up homeless for a while, believe it or not. And I went to the, strangely, I went to the Houses of Parliament with Jerry Hall, Pamela Anderson, Vivian Westwood, and my friend Joseph Corey. And left and joe said do you want to come back to mine and we'll have a drink and catch up and i was like fine so i went back to his house and he said mate where are you living right now and i was like actually i'm not this is he's like your your face is on the billboards of like in times square like you're doing so well what what's going on so at that point i decided to um tell him that i gave everything up and it was you know, really hard. And I had a, you know, 40 foot container of clothes. <laughs> uh, right. And he said, there's a room in there, go and stay in it, it's yours. And I stayed there for about four years. So he'd gone away one day, I stopped everything that I was doing, or I wrote down eight, eight, eight pieces of paper, I turned all the inter- internet, electricity, everything off, called my mum and said, you're not going to hear from me for a few days. I need to figure out what I want to do with my life and what I need to do. So one of the ideas was this fashion exhibition. I had all these items of clothes that I collected over the years. He said, go in there. I, I came up with these ideas. One was a fashion exhibition of all the clothes that I had, about 6,000 pieces <laughs> from all over the world, from everywhere you can think of, from all kinds of designers, things I found on the streets, things that I made, all kinds of things. And so I came up with this idea, what do I do? Well, I live as art. So not many people do that. It's a strange concept. But for me, living as art, it's it's some kind of armour that I wear. So I thought, who are the best army in history? And I thought, well, maybe the Terracotta Warriors. So I thought, well, they're all standing in state, just waiting to protect the emperor. And that was became my inspiration. I put this idea of doing this exhibition on this piece of paper and then kept going back to it. Three days later, I left the house with the full plan. And I went to a party, a Vivian Westwood party, and my friend Rafael Gomez, who is the Savannah College of Art and Design's curator now, he was leaving Vivian going to SCAD. And I said, well, I have an idea that I want to do, an, an exhibition. And you know when you're in a party and literally everyone just talks and nothing ever happens? Well, he said, well, send the idea to me. So sent the idea, thought I'd never hear back from him. Two weeks later, he said yes. A week later, he came to the UK and went through my storage archives and it was all shipped to Atlanta. Um, because the Savannah College of Art and Design had a space in their museum between Oscar de la Renta and Carolina Herrera. That's how my exhibition... And and so there were 6,000 pieces, all based on... There were like 3D tapestry versions of how I live as art and how I've been living for the last, well, at that point, about 15 years. So that's how it started, from doom to... <laughs> To, to becoming something magical. Right, and, and this um, this campaign that you were talking about, that you were in at the time, you said you were standing outside of par- Parliament. Yeah. And you were homeless. It was kind of weird. Like, I was... I had nowhere to go. I had... I didn't know what to do. I had no money. It was like from a seven-storey building in Knightsbridge opposite Harrods to nowhere. 
you know. <laughs> and this campaign at this time where you were, you know, it, this was H&M's campaign, which was a revolutionary campaign. Well, um, the, yeah, the H&M campaign was, it was called Close the Loop. And they came to me and they said, do you want to be part of it? And I was like, okay, that's cool. They asked me if I wanted to wear their clothes. I was like, no, <laughs> but uh, we can wear your. I can wear your jewelry with broken tiaras. If this is about sustainability, which it was about stain- sustainability and diversity, and Iggy Pop was in it, Tess Holiday. There were there's a complete diverse cast of models. So I said to the stylist, if this is about sustainability and recycling, I said, why can I not just get a recycled outfit of my own? and just wear your jewellery in it and keep the jewellery and then that's part of the look but also work that in with a load of broken tiaras and that's that's the actual look I wore in the campaign and it went worldwide and at this time I you know I just decided to give everything up so it's this very strange moment for me my my face is in Times Square and got nowhere to live. (laughs) Your traveling exhibition, Be Yourself, was ranked as the second most significant global fashion exhibition of 2016. You know, does this surprise you? Yes. (laughs) It's a strange thing to be an artist, to live as art. Not everybody gets that. Not everyone will get that. Um, And I understand that. But it was so well responded to by the public. And I think because I'd been in the fashion world for so long, and I just right. Bear in mind, just before this, I just dressed Mariah Carey, and that was my dream goal in the label. So to work with Mariah and uh, Vogue Thailand threw us a big party. All the supermodels came, so everyone was waiting for me to do something myself. And this was the time, I guess. So uh, Hamish Bowles said that he would feature it in Vogue, and it was the th- the article was like the third biggest thing on Vogue.com and said all the girls in the office were really happy with it. And um, CNN did a big piece of CNN style, and that was also the most looked at thing on the website. And it just kind of spiraled from there. So we created a book with Rizzoli, um, with the Savannah College of Art and Design. They are the most amazing institution. There's a lady called Paula Wallace, and she's the president of the college. She kind of just clicked her fingers and it all happened. So (laughs) I've got a lot to thank her for you know, for believing in me, and also Rafael Gomez and Glenn Wallace. They were those people that really said, okay, we get what you do, and we're going to give you a chance, and and they did. So I was kind of surprised. In a way, it was interesting to show so much of my stuff from over the years in a room, and the way people responded, because it was so overwhelming, even for me. I remember I had Violet Chachki from RuPaul's Drag Race turn up, and Jonathan Becker, the... Uh, photographer for Vanity Fair and they were they were at the opening certain people like Miss J and Angie Bowie and all these amazing people kind of flocked to the show and and uh, people really responded to it like they would respond to me but there are nearly 40 versions of me so it was um a bit surreal why don't you tell us how you how you got started out now 18 years ago um I was a model I was scouted as a model one year and I thought it was a bit of a scam and I didn't go for it and I went to study photography at school. I looked at the work of David LaChapelle and Stephen Arnold and started taking some self-portraits and also um, getting into fashion and I remember the photography teacher said you should be a stylist and I was like I want to be a photographer. I got scouted as a model 
and moved to London. I was chosen out of like a thousand people, like five five of us. And on my first week, they said, oh, you're not right. You need to go home. I was so like bummed out by that. It was a bit of a nightmare. And then as I left the agency, I walked over a bridge in Camden Town in London. It's like this kind of iconic bridge over a canal. And my dad called me and he said, Daniel, the agency want you to go in and see them. And I said, no, dad, they've just sent me home. He said, no, this is a new one. Like, this is another agency. And I ended up being signed to ICM, who were the top agency at the time. I walked in and there was Alec Weck and Rupert Everett and Orlando Bloom. And I was like, am I really here? Is this happening? And my first job was Lemo Vogue. So shot by Phil Pointer and... I was wearing like five million pounds of blue diamonds, which was kind of crazy. <laughs> and and that's where it all started. And then I discovered nightlife and really beca- I became a photographer at the time and started to go around London snapping all these iconic people. And there were people like Amy Winehouse and Alexander McQueen and Pat McGrath and Edward Enifor and Nicola Formichetti. And, you know, they all became friends. So it was a, it was this, strange time and amazing time in london but vogue calls you the most eccentric dresser not guilty is that yeah (laughs) you were just recently in ricardo tishi's pride month campaign for burberry during the lockdown Mm -hmm. you know and and bulgari's bulgari's campaign last year and you've been involved in so many social and cultural issues what what you've done what i see is you've had a lot of courage and faith to be yourself. And I think you're so representative of that, of our times. Thank you. How did this all start? Well, started at school being taught about global warming and climate change. So I was lucky enough to be taught about it at a young age. And I became like head of the the school on the problems. And I listened, listened to Greta Thunberg today and I was like, I wish if I was a young person today, I, I would be joining her. I am as an older person I'm with her but I moved when I moved to London I lived this um, a model's lifestyle which is like rejection and fabulousness all enrolled in one I met a doctor and ended up going to Kenya right um and I worked with two NGOs out there taking photos for them one was called iCross and one was called New World International and I really learned there what it is to be human because everything in the western world if you look around you right now if there are not trees and grass everything is man-made when i was in kenya the parts that in kenya there was literally nothing man-made and everything was natural and beautiful and and i saw the worst possible things that you could ever see you know and the stories and the the tragedy of humanity and when I left, I vowed that I would do better as a person. I got back to London and I had a complete breakdown. I had a complete mental breakdown. I was crying. Like when I was there, seeing devastation, you have to keep your emotions like to yourself. You know, you have to do the job. And But getting back to the UK, I was like, what on earth is this world that we live in? <laughs> You know, so um, it, that's where it really started. And then I met Vivian Westwood and I read her manifesto, her first manifesto, and said, I would love to work with you on anything. So she actually hired me personally to work with her, not the brand. And I worked with her on uh, everything from anti-fracking. Uh, we're both friends of Julian Assange. So we have been working with Julian alongside Pamela Anderson and a few other 
people to try and support him. Anti-fracking, for example. We went to a place called Balcombe in the UK and imagine Vivian Westwood on a double-decker bus with me, Joseph Corey, and uh, a guy called Phil Dirtbox who was a Soho dandy poet. Anyway, so we, we go to the protest and we take over the field which we're not allowed to go in. We then go to the village pub on the way to get alcohol. <laughs> we stop by, we go to the village pub and this farmer this son of the farmer who owns the field happened to speak to us and say what are you guys doing here like you shouldn't be here and i said well first of all in 20 years time if the water from that fracking comes up your whole field is going to be destroyed so you can't create any no livestock no nothing around here and he said really and he said okay well let me call my dad we should get on this and it it was really sad that these people didn't know what was actually going on in their back garden so we managed to save Balcom from being fracked. And it's it's just, for me, I may say things online, but uh, for me, it's all about stealth activism. It's about connecting dots. It's about giving information to people in the right way. Because you can preach all you like online, but nothing ever happens. You just shout at each other. But if you actually do something that sometimes you can make a difference. That's how I see it. And I've learned to be like that. I'll never be at the front of a campaign for something like that, but I'll be in the background helping everybody. So that's where I see myself, and that's where my best attributes come into it. You know, one of the things that I thought was so done so well was your recent interview with Tim Yip. Tell us about this film you did with Tim Yip, Love Infinity. Tim Yip is the Academy Award winner for Best Art Direction in the 2000 martial arts film Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And Yip also won a BAFTA award for the film's costume design. Tell us how this all began. So I have a friend called Mayway, and she came to me and said, this director wants to come to your fashion show. And I was like, okay, sure. Well, and she showed me, he said he did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I said, give him a front row seat. He said he needs two. And I was like, okay, so who's the other person? Because it's hard to plan a front row. You need to make sure someone's right for the front row. And he said, it's Lily. And I was like, I don't know who Lily is, but she, <laughs> they said she was an influencer. And I was like, okay, sure. Put her on the front row. He came to the show. I remember coming out onto the catwalk, you know, when you give the wave. And when I went past them, I was like, huh, interesting. That's who she is. Like, So after the show, Tim... I saw Tim down the corridor and he walked away and Lily was sitting on this chair and I walked past her and I was like hello <laughs> and I was like oh she didn't answer me gosh <laughs> I wonder what's up her you know like what's wrong with her uh, so I walked past again and I was like hi and I was like she's so rude <laughs> okay so three years <laughs> later <laughs> three years later they come to me and say they want to make a film and they said Lily will be the main character with you, maybe. And I was like, okay, tell me about Lily. Uh, Lily was at the meeting. She came in a wheelchair. She, uh, she was sat at the table. And I realised that she wasn't real. Um, <laughs> she's a doll that Tim created to bring around the world and an art project. So there's so many versions of Lily. And uh, she is actually the, the main star of this movie. So while well, there are two movies that came out of it, 
There's one a documentary and there's one which is a fake version of our reality. So it stars Pandemonia, who is this like latex blow up doll artwork, Gilbert and George, the famous artist duo, Vivian Westwood, Andrew Logan, and all these creative people from London, mainly East London. And we give our real life stories to Tim. He then turned it into a feature film, which is part fiction, part reality. And it just became so crazy. It's coming out, I think, next year. And there are about 100 amazing creatives in it. And some of those people that you would might not want to give a platform to because you're not sure of them. You know when people are in industries and they're not sure of you. Well, Tim gave everybody a part in the movie. So we started filming in Iceland, in my show in Iceland, when my exhibition went there. Yeah, and then, and then we shot it in London and I developed this character that was not me. <laughs> and all of a sudden I, I found myself method acting and when people spoke to me offset, I was continuing this character. It was, it was very strange, but it worked. So I'm looking forward to seeing it when it comes out. I'll share this interview with our readers. I urge everyone to watch it. It's the best interview I have ever seen with one of the greatest art directors and costume designers of our time, who actually sees you, Daniel, as an icon and inspiration for himself. Tell us about just that interview setup. It's just one of the most fabulous creations I've ever seen. Well, he was, he'd gone back to China because uh, for lockdown, he had to move and stay in London because of, you know, obviously uh, COVID. And he then sent a film crew to my mother's kitchen <laughs> and set up this, this lighting. So he was like in the light and I was in the dark. Uh, sorry, I right. was in the light and he was in the dark and he wanted he was right. very particular about what I wore, which he's never been before. And he said, um, I want you to be in the complete light and I'm going to be the opposite. And had he, he really opened up to me. He really spilt his... We had a long... When I first met him properly, we had like a three-hour conversation with each other. And this interview is more or less some of the things that we spoke about in the first meeting we had and he really opened up to me about his methods how he works his inspiration everything so i was really happy to do it you know what i find so fascinating about this interview is that you know tim yip talks about fame you know and, and one of the things you know the thing about success and fame is that it's not really always what it looks like and he discusses how he was happy for his country china and the happiness that it brought to others but instead of what so many of us often do and go outside ourselves he turned inside to find out more about who he is. And he goes into depth about discussing that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think we're, we are discovering things maybe we didn't know about ourselves. I've found many of the people that I've spoken to have woken up, like, inside. They're real. They've figured out that life is short, shorter than we think. There's a pandemic outside. No, we can't see it. I think they're true inner beings are coming out good and bad you know all over the world and i i think now is a time to have a conversation with yourself many people struggle with who they are and people come to me all the time and and i just i just say go home look in the mirror have a conversation with yourself fashion and art is the theme of your book be yourself everyone else has taken can you explain what you mean by that you can run around your whole life trying to be like others i said this in my ted talk I spent time trying to be like others and it didn't work for me. 
it just didn't work because I'm not anybody else. And that, you know, this idea of there's there's envy and jealousy and there's imitation, and there is that's when we and and as a species we often look to people with respect and we we mimic. So this is part of what what we are as, as a species. But I think if we do that a bit less and look inwards. Um, because you could spend so much time going around not being authentic. And and I, I've also read that many people on their deathbeds, for example, are say they wish they had been themselves a bit more. And, and I, I found that really important and kind of eye-opening. When I was a model, actually, I, was, I started to wear makeup and things. And I remember this guy came to me and he said, you can either look like a freak for the rest of your life or you could be this model and you can just, you know, go from that. And I was like, I'd rather be the freak, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather be authentic and wear what the hell I want whenever I want and and be who I am rather than being controlled and told what to do and how to be. And and I, I think freedom is it's a scarce. It's becoming more scarce. I have friends all over the world right now uh, a friend called Charles in Nigeria. This is one of the you said about activism and campaigning. He is in Nigeria. He's he's gay, and his family are trying to pray the gay out of him. Like how ridiculous! First of all, um, I have a friend called Salah Bill in Iran. He's the biggest designer there. He's just had electroshock therapy for being who he is, and it's so wrong. Like you, you can't change people by these methods. And that you can't change them anyway. I think the people that want to change certain individuals for who they are, they're the ones that need to change themselves because hatred is no way acceptable in our world. You know, you've been greatly rewarded for being yourself. Tell us about your work with Swarovski and the English National Opera. I had been going to the English National Opera, taking friends there, and I'd gone with David LaChapelle and Pamela Anderson we had such a good night and it was a bit crazy and the next day the communications person at the ENO called me in and said Daniel Kramer who is the head of the English National Opera wants you to go and meet him and I thought they were going to speak to me about doing PR for them to be honest and I went in there and they had my book and they had my book on the desk and Daniel said I want you to do an opera and I was like what like design it and I was like oh I can't design an opera. Like, it's crazy. Like, this is the biggest dream. So he said, you have the marriage of Figaro or the Mask of Orpheus. The Mask of Orpheus hasn't been done since the 70s. Uh, it's a Harrison Burt whistle. It's so out there that not, you know, not everyone's going to understand it. Not everyone's going to love it. But the people that do will never forget it. You know, and I said, well, if I do the marriage of Figaro, it will just be ostrich plumes and very cliche, and I don't want to do that. So let's go for a, the hardest one, which is the hardest opera in the world to design for. And there's three versions of the play happening all at once on stage. So imagine three versions of Orpheus, three d versions of Eurydice, three parallel things going on. I said, well, I need Swarovski crystals <laughs> because this needs to be magic and they create magic on stage and Swarovski sponsored it they gave us over 450,000 recycled crystals it took two years to do and it was on for only 
five nights, I think. It took two years, to, and, and the cast were amazing. It was just incredible. To One night I had Luke Evans and Vivian Westwood and Ruby Wax and Patrick Wolf and one of the Sugar Babes, Jay Dewan. It was just like all of my dreams come true, and all of my friends came out to support me. Vogue did a piece on it. We did a photo shoot for Vogue, which was amazing, British Vogue. And, uh, yeah, it was it was just whack it was so whack like my, when my mum came and my family they were like we <laughs> what was that <laughs> i was like what was that I, i'd seen it nine times on stage and it was probably the craziest thing i've ever seen i was i was really happy to do it though you, you also opened for naomi campbell's fashion for release fund tell us more about that experience well, my friend Sasa, who does uh, Naomi Shows the Styling, said she wanted to put my statues in the British Museum and they would come out on a... This was the idea, but it, all my sh- all my stuff was in a show in Poland and it was virtually impossible to get it across. But they wanted to actually bring out these things on plinths and, sh- and that would open the show. And that didn't happen. So it was a bit of a nightmare. And they, I said, could I wear one of my costumes from the opera? It's the first time anyone's going to see anything that I've designed for a long time. And it was a big pink outfit. And they said yes. And I remember in the lineup, you know, shows like that, you're never sure what's going to happen. I remember all the supermodels were in the show. Anna Wintour was front row. It was kind of crazy. Like everyone was there, like Piers Brosnan and all these incredible people. And I was backstage at the beginning and I remember Naomi going, we need a liar to open the show. And I was like, oh, no, like, I'm not going to open the show. This is not cool. Like, but I don't mind. She's God. So <laughs> Naomi then walked past me and said, Daniel, what number are you? I said, one. Like, it was meant to open the show. She said, OK, it's like that. You're opening the show. And I was just like, OK, God, <laughs> she's amazing. Like, she's such a kind person. And what, what she does for so many other people first of all she's real and second of all she goes out of her way to make a difference and i really admire that in her and and she uses her platform to speak out she actually many people don't and naomi does and she so for me that was a huge huge honor um i'd only walked in the past few years for vivian westwood in her show and and i thought i'd stop after that because i I didn't want to ever walk in a a runway show and and for me that was a magical moment it was kind of like ending my career as a as a model (laughs) with that show what was your association with david la chapelle and pamela anderson at the royal ballet with the royal ballet dancers oh so I told you at the beginning, he inspired me as an artist, um, as a person, as a everything when I was at college. I met him in New York about 10 years ago, maybe longer, and we became friends. And I happened to be traveling. I went to Vienna uh, to the life pool there, and we kind of reconnected and really bonded with each other. And then he came to London. He did a show. I remember Daphne Guinness was there, and he asked me to go to dinner so it was me him and a priest and princess michael of kent (laughs) and prince michael of kent and we sat on a table and i remember i think the princess may have wanted to sit next to him i'm not sure but i ended up sitting next to him we just we laughed all night with this priest who writes for the guardian and so we stayed in contact after that and then he shot the diesel campaign with nicola from machetti and i went to the party and his assistant johnny 
his right hand man said have you met david and i was like yes i know david um very well and so we went off to this hotel room and david showed me his new book and me and david always emailed and whatever and and when i see him we you know we talk a lot so then he said would you help me on this shoot we're doing it with sergey palunin the royal ballet and pamela anderson and so it ended up being a i don't know if it was one month or a bit longer but we shot for so long and we shot on different days backstage and i ended up art directing it with with david and for me that was that was huge so it was like full circle i was working with the man that inspired me as a young person and then he put me in one of the shots which and made me play martha graham he made me play the character of martha graham (laughs) which was a bit insane and then he said i've got elton john's film i've got to shoot a film piece for the for elton john's new movie and i was like oh my gosh so it was taron taron egerton i think his name is um we got there and Taron was in Elton's clothes, but he was in the repro clothes, like made for the movie. And I was like, David, the white outfit that the famous white outfit that Elton wore is over there. He should wear that. And that was chosen for the main cover. But David then said, well, the feathers need to be bigger. So we took the feathers off the reproduction and put them on Elton's original one. And that was that was the main movie shot. So that was a real special moment for me. And I got to go through Elton John's uh, wardrobe, <laughs> which was fabulous. Describe your work with, with Vivian Westwood. Now, first of all, us in the fashion industry, of course, know, know Vivian Westwood. But first, who is she? And then tell us a little about her climate revolution projects and your work with her. So for about 10 years now, Vivian Westwood actually created the punk movement with Malcolm McLaren. And she was, if they don't know her, they'll know uh, the Sex Pistols who were a punk band and they'll know what punk is. So her, between her and Malcolm McLaren, who was her husband at the time, created the whole punk revolution, which was one of the last revolutions to change the world. Then there was like the internet and maybe Andy Warhol, but cultural, culturally punk was a big thing. So she became an iconic British fashion designer. She's a dame. She was, you know, she's part of the uh, establishment, but she's not the establishment. Like, she's so... She's the... Um, she's very clever. Because <laughs> uh, she's an anarchist, and she always uses her voice for the better of the world. I started to work with her because I had the same kind of visions and same... Well, not visions, but, you know, uh, same ideas as her. And... The way that she did things in the punk era, I guess, may be different to now. So I would go to her and I'd say, well, this is how we do it now. And she'd go, okay, let's let's make it happen. So she came up with the idea of bringing all the NGOs together. Usually NGOs do not speak. They don't like each other. They stay a million miles away and they never communicate. So Vivian's idea was to create a climate revolution, to bring them all together in a room with great minds, activists thinkers writers all sorts of people scientists and and that's what she did and i remember one day it was like pamela anderson (laughs) and um vivian and the head of greenpeace and the student doctors in the uk and and it was just this amazing meeting of minds where they actually communicated so for me it was quite an important thing to happen and and since then they have been communicating so that was a really great thing that she did 
We just made a movie, actually, which which I haven't spoken about before. There's a documentary on Vivian Westwood right now, and it's out on all the main channels, but I don't think Vivian was very happy, and personally, I don't think it was a great representation of her because she doesn't really care about fashion too much. She cares about the environment and the planet. So the new movie that Joe Corey, her son, made is going to be on this project that I was part of called Burn Punk London. The idea of punk is anarchy. And all of a sudden, Boris Johnson, who is now the Prime Minister, when he was the Mayor of London, started to celebrate 30, is it 40 years of punk? And started to kind of go, yes, let's make punk um, teacups and let's do this. And, And Joe was like, that, you know, no way. Joe has the biggest what well, had the biggest collection of punk archive which people like Kanye West buy you know a t-shirt would sell for 125,000 pounds like this is real fashion history you know and, right. and there were pieces like valued for a million pounds in there and this is real iconic British history and fashion history so Joe had a really great collection said he I don't know if I'm allowed to swear <laughs> He said, I'm going to burn it all. So I was like, Joe, you can't do that. And I was living with him at the time. Joe wanted to burn his archive of punk memorabilia in protest against Boris Johnson and the Queen celebrating the punk anniversary, which is the most punk thing to do. And I thought it was a terrible idea at first, but he actually spoke. He got me to think it was a good idea. So I helped him. And we've made a movie of it. And his idea was to actually burn the punk memorabilia and turn the ashes into six million pounds worth of art. So the ashes in a coffin as an art concept were actually worth more than the original stuff. And that's the world we live in. So he thinks everyone knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. So we did it and there was an outrage People were like, you cannot burn this British history. And Joe was like, just watch me. So um, (laughs) we announced that we were going to do it in a certain park and only tipped off the press an hour before where we would be. Vivian came in the bus, in a double-decker bus, and she was at the back of the bus. We were all on a boat in, in the Thames. So Joe found the only place that you could not... There were no rules. You could do whatever you want and... It was the only pirate ship on the Thames, which is actually in international waters, which is kind of hilarious. So we could do anything we wanted on this boat. So what happened was we we um, dressed all these mannequins up like the politicians of the UK, David Cameron, <laughs> Theresa May, uh, Savage Javid, uh, Boris Johnson, and so on. And we set fire to them. And they were like explosives and fireworks and it was all burnt. And some people had found out where we were. So the world's media were there. Russia Today, BBC, ITV, Sky, literally everybody you can think of um, (laughs) came. And then after it was all burnt, Vivian popped out the back of the bus and explained why and what was more important than clothing, which is climate change. So... It was this mad thing that we've made a, a, a film about. Well, Joe has made a film about. And it explains the real history of punk, which Vivian has never spoken about before. So all the true facts of 
the punk era will be in this film. Uh, I don't even think anyone knows about it yet. So maybe the first. <laughs> You've been so active, you know, in promoting sustainable fashion, which is I stand behind. I, I personally have a very large collection of sustainably sourced Chanel clothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chanel is a brand I stand behind for their helping in all kinds of sustainable projects. Tell me what you think about that. So Cool Earth is a charity which more or less raises money to buy or kind of preserve the Amazon and many other rainforests around the world. And what they do is give the indigenous people more money than what the loggers could afford to give them. Therefore, they preserve the planet. They also uh, regrow trees in other areas where it's been damaged by these logging companies. So uh, I've done my best to kind of help raise awareness and some funds for them. They're a really amazing charity and what they do is actually important. I don't think people know this. When I working with Vivian, this scientist came in one day and Vivian is also like one of the main ambassadors for Cool Earth, as well as Pamela Anderson. They said that it will only take one hundred million to save the rainforest, therefore save the earth. A hundred million is not that much. No, it's nothing. I mean, I I hate to say it, but a hundred million dollars is not that much these days. No, it's not. It's the price of a Basquiat painting. Yeah. I mean, I'm in San Francisco. So yeah. Yeah. Or a nice boat. (laughs) And you're in London. So I understand. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, a hundred million is not much to someone very wealthy. So that's all it would take to regrow the rainforest and preserve what we have. So I don't know if people know this, but I think hopefully I'm, if some billionaire somewhere hears this, then get in contact and it will help you save the world. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so all the all the billionaires listening to my podcast today, a hundred million dollars will save the rainforest. Pounds. Pounds. Pa- pounds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Pounds. A <laughs> hundred million pounds will save the rainforest. Yeah. It will. Vivian, I know, is trying to raise that money before she dies, and I think she wants her to have that legacy that she saved the world because she really wants to. You know, this is a real legitimate thing. So that's what Vivian and I are doing with um, Cool Earth. And then coming on to fast fashion, I think next time you're in a shop, if you're in a cheap shop or a somewhat, you know, the high street, or if we'll ever go back to the high street, who knows, don't buy it if you don't need it and i i think if you want to buy something make it last like buy something a bit better spend a tiny bit more money on it if you can not everyone can but if if not save up because the amount of fast fashion we buy and throw away and we're not going to wear in 10 years think about the longevity of something also anyone that's like wealthy I think they should support young designers, you know, not buy the big labels all the time. However, if you want to be sustainable, all the, like, for example, you have all this Chanel stuff. I have a lot of Alexander McQueen pieces from, you know, from his collection that he made. These uh, pieces will, in 10, 20, 30 years time, go up in value. Incrementally, like, I mean, a 200 to 700% increase. Exactly. So I think people need to be smart about what they spend their money on and how they spend money. Because why buy, like, 10 coats over 10 years when you could buy something so amazing that every time someone looks at it, they go, wow. (laughs) You know, and instead of 10 other things, which you'll throw away. 
I, I go to a lot of second-hand stores and I buy my things from there, you know. I, I rarely buy anything these days, but if I do, I want to know that it's going to be sustainable. I don't. I think that fast fashion is over and we have to move on. We, As a species, we have to move on. Fast fashion needs to stop. I think the trend industry is the most damaging industry that we have on this planet. Um, uh, fashion is the second biggest polluter mm-hmm. on our planet. And... It's up to those in charge to to know this and to to work around it. I, I know that Anna Wintel, one of the Vogue editors, actually told me this. She said, Anna Wintel said, do not ever promote fast fashion. And she called a big meeting of all the editors and said, no more fast fashion. So <laughs> it's over. But I think, you know, all these amazing vintage stores with like Christian Lacroix or Chanel or all these pieces that they're going to be valuable in many years time and also they are fabulous to wear (laughs) and i don't think there's ever you know when people say is it too much i mean when they say do you think this is too much to me i'm like you're asking the wrong person (laughs) it's never too much (laughs) more is more (laughs) you were the creative director for sorapol you know and you once said i want to dress beautiful women beautifully yeah You, you had famous clientele who are some of the most iconic revered powerful independent women who are not afraid to speak up for themselves and i think your brand very much spoke to that yeah um so that that happened it was kind of a fluke in a way uh or not it was a i so i'd gone through nightlife and i i was like i need to stop working in the nightlife world is this is going to be drastic for me if i continue thank gosh i did because it doesn't exist anymore with covid so I met this guy called Sorapol. He was a, a London College of Fashion student from Thailand. And I saw something in him which was quite fabulous and his designs and ideas. And we got on really well. And I said, I want to start a fashion label. And he said, so do I. And I said, well, I know everybody. And, you know, you've you've got the talent and you, we can get funding like so he actually used his university fees to start the label. <laughs> looking towards the future and looking towards love and looking towards hope and, you know, love infinity. It, it says, that says it all. Love infinity. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Daniel Lismore, thank you so much for being on the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast. It was such a pleasure to have you. For the links to the Daniel Lismore interview with Tim Yip, as well as other projects Daniel is involved with, such as Vivian Westwood's Climate Revolution Project, please click the links below. You can follow and find Daniel on Instagram, at Daniel Lismore, as well as Facebook, Clubhouse, TikTok, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Once again, thank you for joining us on the Genius Design Transcends Time podcast. Be sure to listen to part two of the Daniel Lismore interview. We'll see you next time.